being able to at least remind our members that as independent contractors, you get to set your rates and you can negotiate a rate. If your client is dictating the rate that they pay you and it's not open to negotiation, that's one of the little clues that they might be an employer, not a client. Welcome to Between Two Mics. I'm Zach. And I'm Rock. We're the co-founders of Squadcast.fm. The best way to record remote interviews and studio quality like this one. Here on Between Two Mics, we explore the challenges, opportunities, and new ideas with the people who are pushing the limits of what's possible in podcasting. Hi, listeners. Zach here. We're about to get to our interview. This week, I speak with Amanda Hickman, the Managing Director for the Association for Independence in Radio, better known as AIR. Here's a little bit about Amanda. She led BuzzFeed's Open Lab for Journalism, Technology, and the Arts, and has taught reporting, multimedia storytelling, and data visualization at the UC Berkeley Graduate School for Journalism, the J School. CUNY Graduate School of Journalism, the CUNY Graduate Center, and Columbia Journalism School. Wow. Her resume goes on and on with impressive audio and podcast-related accomplishments. Amanda and I spoke for a while about all things audio. We start off the interview mid-question from me. I ask Amanda about the resources and support that AIR provides for its members. Here's our chat. You provide resources to, to independent um, independent creatives working in, in these mediums to, uh, to seek through like grant writing, through, through other, other means. So before we get into that, like, can you share, like, how do you think about air, um, to podcasters? They may not be familiar that there is this amazing organization out there who provides all these resources and support for the work that they do. So I just want to make sure that that's like clearly up front, uh, so people can, can tag along from there. Yeah. So we are the association of independence and radio. We've been around for 33 years podcasting wasn't a thing 33 years ago. And I sometimes wonder if there's a name change in our future, although we've never talked about it. And it's such a great name that we probably won't. I love it. I love your branding um, too. When we did our member, our kind of member and community survey last summer, two things that really stood out to me. One was that 80% of our members are making podcasts and only about 40% are producing public radio segments. Obviously, if you can do some math, you know that that means that there's some people doing both. But everybody in our network is producing podcasts in some form or another. Some of them are producing them for public radio stations. There's the the radio space is definitely podcasting very actively. A lot of people are working on passion projects that's their their own vision that they have some ideas about where they want to take it, but right now they're just trying to make it happen. Um, and then a lot of people are working on commercial podcasts and some of those are branded. Some of those are just kind of work for hire. You come in and bring your skills to telling the story of the company that they want told. Um, and some of those are, are kind of ad driven. So we are a membership organization. We have about 1500 members and we're all committed to audio storytelling that's the work that brings us together. But we are engineers, we are producers, we are podcasters, we are radio reporters, we are teachers, <laughs> writers, editors. It's a, it's a really diverse group of, of folks um, and definitely not just radio. 
but it, one of the things, one of the other things that stood out in that member survey was that a handful of people in the comments said, you know, I think you guys are interesting, but you're really just for radio. And I was like, wait, 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 we're not, we're not, we're really not. And one of the things that we did when the shutdown first started was we just, we sort of took a look at our travel budget for the spring and we had a bunch of conferences we were planning to be at. And yeah, so we took that money and started hiring our own members and, and people outside our membership in the community to lead workshops for folks who were trying to figure out how to adapt to this universe um, or just figure out how to grow their show. A lot of our workshops are about raising funds, about building audience. They're very podcast directed. They're about how do you get, how do you get money to start a podcast? How do you pursue grants? Where do you look for um, grant resources? We actually keep a modest database. It's something that I'm hoping that we can really put some energy into building back out in the coming year of funders that will fund audio storytelling projects. Mm -hmm. um, there's, a, there's a lot of grant funding, both locally and nationally, that is available for storytelling. And there's a lot of different contexts in which funders are kind of looking to support that either through the arts or through kind of civic participation. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. a lot of different funding streams that, that are available and that we try to help our own members and the larger community get access to. I'm grateful for that because it's it's needed. It can't be one answer to mm -hmm. being a professional in in um and independent at the same time. I think that's those are two of the things that are in the Venn diagram of overlap of the people the people that you're serving and and, and the podcast community. I think those are those are both valuable um, valuable reasons why people are doing this work and the the journalism space i mean i think people tend to think about podcasting kind of broken into two camps like like super highly produced like professional productions from media organizations and then like everybody else but what what i think is is somewhat more accurate is is the journalism uh the journalism that was always there um you know before podcasting before before radio and what was insightful to me, I think it was a conversation with with Joaquin Alvarado um, when when I was first starting to work at uh, at at Studio to Be, and that was how many newsrooms had just been closing because of the newspapers kind of being disrupted by the internet. Or uh, there's different ways to tell that story. So kind of, but it's but it's happening. I think that's the the reality and diverting that that journalism that needs to happen quite frankly in a functioning democracy that journalism we we desperately need that energy wasn't necessarily directed like those people didn't just get jobs on the internet and like start contributing to these to these websites or apps like so this was a path uh you know podcasting and and independent in in radio is is a path forward for that journalism work to continue so i'm curious like how much of your how much of your membership of, of your of your base like are are focused on on journalism versus uh versus you know audio storytelling kind of writ large or how, how do you think about that it's it's definitely a mix and i don't know i'm not going to pull out our member survey and find that number <laughs> All good. No. um no worries we'll link to it in the show notes there's daily reporting and that kind of work. And I think that the most of the the 40% of our members who are doing public radio, who are producing stories for public radio, are those stories are journalism. They're some of its arts coverage, some of its civics, some of its 
investigative pieces about how the border wall is impacting communities. You know, it's it's a mix of kind of long and long investigative projects and just quick hit interviews. So I know that's a big chunk of our membership. But there's also a lot of really creative projects. There's a lot of audio fiction and storytelling and these other pieces that aren't journalism, but I think they also contribute to like our sense of what's possible. Mm-hmm. And, and I that's think that what those, I love. That's what this podcast yeah. is about, right? Is like what what is yeah. what, defining what's possible in what this space. The world so be? I'm so glad to hear that that that's represented in in your membership because that's where I think you know I, I was thinking of that as like the innovation category, something mm-hmm. like that. Like out of your out of your um, your membership, what's like just off the top of your head? What's something that you're excited about that uh, that Air has been doing? For for the membership, I mean, I know you've spoken a little bit about the the evolution of uh, of the resources you're providing, but you know, there's there's legal resources baked into that. There's there's all sorts of things that aren't necessarily just the finished product of the audio story. It's it's all the work in advance of that and how to be a professional while doing it. When I was just gonna say, our membership our membership person is our communications, which is a funny title, engagement strategist, knows a ton about what our members are doing. And she also knows like which of the cool projects I might be thinking of or things that are air members and things that aren't. We have a whole fellowship program. We have 20 fellows this year through the New Voices Fellowship. And that is really a support network for um, marginalized voices that are coming into radio. They aren't all new. A lot of them have been doing this work for sometimes decades, but it's a really nice and and really diverse across a lot of different axes um, group of folks who are just sort of sharing experience in both trying to get heard and trying to get funded and trying to make the work that they want to make happen. My focus and my kind of like column in our work has really been working on fair practice rates, the sort of equity questions that really are, at this point, NPR hasn't updated their kind of standard rate guide since 2012. And Oh, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and it and it wasn't adequate in 2012. So mm-hmm. so that's a fight that every freelance producer has to like refight if they want to get paid when that's the standard. Yeah, how do you Yeah. Even even a living wage like uh, it is not a sustainable rate. The the mm-hmm. the numbers that they're willing to pay by default for a story are really low. And we've been going back and forth with them to try to work with them to update those rates. But we also last year just put out a revision of our rate guide, which historically had been sort of based on the NPR rate guide. And I said, we're we're not going to keep publishing this because it's not it's not useful to anybody to set unrealistic expectations on the part of stations and podcasts about what you ought to be expecting to pay someone. And it's not helping members to sort of like put these numbers out there that are not professional rates. Um, And so we did a whole study of prevailing salaries in the industry, mostly in radio, though also in some of the podcast, I want to say public radio-y podcasts. Um, Pineapple Street, Snap Judgment was a great resource as we were thinking that stuff through. Gimlet, but not necessarily the like firms that are producing bespoke branded podcasts for Adobe, for instance. Yeah. Um, Salesforce, whatever. But we, right, right. So we, we put, we looked at kind of where the salary tiers are and just broke out what it would look like to pay a producer a rate that's commensurate with 
a set salary. Um, and sort of like if that's someone who's at a kind of associate assistant level where they're going to need a little bit of you, you should be expecting some back and forth over quality control and just they're going to need some coaching. Um, if that person's at a kind of you know, producer editor level without without any qualifiers where you can just sort of you can count on them to go out and get the story and to be bringing a basic foundation of of experience with them when they do it. And then someone who's at that more senior level where you expect that, that their experience is going to show and sort of what is that? What are the salary ranges there and what does it look like to pay a per story rate that's commensurate with those ranges? And we've really been trying to work with our members to educate them about how to do that math. One thing that I see a lot is that people start to just like do a little napkin math and they always start with like, okay, so if you work for 50 weeks a year and multiplying (laughs) by five is handy, it's fast. Um, It's not accurate, right? You start to tally up the amount of vacation time that any reasonable person needs to thrive. You start to add in just paid holidays, just like 10 federal holidays. That's two weeks. So mm. so if you start to do that math, you assume that not everyone is going to never get sick ever. You came up with a slightly more refined formula. You assume that you're going to spend a little time on billing, right? You're not, not every hour of work that you do is going to be a billable hour and you have right. to budget for that. Logistics. And so, so starting to develop some resources to, to help freelancers and, and independent producers advocate for themselves and give them something to lean on to say, this isn't the, the rate you're proposing to pay for this piece is not reasonable. It's not adequate. It doesn't reflect my experience and it doesn't reflect the, the work that's going into this piece. And so Which that is so much, I think we yeah. all can appreciate that. It's, it's a lot of work uh, telling these stories and doing it at a professional level. And we are, um, it strikes me that, that, um, that the, the rate schedule that, that you're mentioning is, is kind of similar and maybe, um, maybe even more advanced version of we're, we're proud to be members of the, of a newly formed kind of open source organization called the podcast taxonomy working group Mm -hmm. that is working to establish, um, a standard definition of the different roles and titles and, um, all the different people that are involved in in production of any size. And I I think that the the rate schedule being kind of a a phase two of that, right? Like now we know what all the different jobs are and we can agree on what the titles are. So that way people can move between organizations and not lose all their prior history. But but then extend that even and and say okay you know an executive producer this is the rate schedule for for that um, and I'm I'm wondering if they're looking at going that in that direction. We're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be back soon with more from Between Two Mics. We're so excited to tell you about an upcoming community event we're hosting. Join us on Friday, March nineteenth, for a live virtual session with comedian and improv artist. Amy Jordan. Amy is teaching an hour-long class on improv for podcasters. Learn how to be the best podcast host you can be through the basic tenets of improv. Amy will teach you how to be mindful during recordings, how to be approachable, and how to create a safe space for you and your guests to shine. This event is free, and it's going to be live on Crowdcast. If you can't make the live event, that's all good. No worries. There will be a replay video available immediately after. Learn more and sign up to attend Improv for Podcasters by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. See you there on March 19th at 1 o'clock Pacific and 4 o'clock Eastern Time. Get ready for Improv. We had suggested um, 
a taxonomy be uh, be kind of part of this work because we've noticed uh, that there's a lot of vocabulary that's not necessarily shared across uh, <laughs> shared across the community. Uh-huh. So, uh, so I think there's a bunch of work like in this category, but I love that air is, is really confronting the, the opportunity to, to have more diverse representation. Um, I, I don't want to gloss over that you mentioned and then, um, and then, you know, helping, helping empower creatives to, to really understand what their, what their time is and valuable, um, to, to these productions. How, how's that work been received with the, the update? Um, NPR st- has, hasn't budged, but you all are NPR moving forward. Budged, I'm glad I'm but, grateful for that. But they've been very consistent in saying that their rates are a baseline. And so mm, it, it would be okay. nice if every pitch wasn't also a fight, but being able to at least remind our members that as independent contractors, you get to set your rates and you can negotiate a rate. If your employer, if, if, you're, if your client is dictating the rate that they pay you and it's not open to negotiation, that's one of the little clues that they might be an employer, not a client. And that's helpful. And so really kind of pushing on that. The code of fair practice is the other resource that has been really, I think, valuable to people that we've been updating. Um, Also, again, just to help people have some clarity about what's normal and what's not normal. We're seeing a lot of contracts that have like non-compete clauses and I think there's good questions you could ask about whether those are ever reasonable. But if you're asking somebody to come in and be your in-house mix engineer for a two-month contract to finish a one-off podcast, and you're asking them to sign a two-year non-compete that says you're not going to work with anybody else in the industry for yeah, the next two years, like, that's not yeah. that's not reasonable, right? I wouldn't and, sign that. And you can you can. And so try, one, trying to get people to feel confident reading contracts. I think a lot of people start to read that legalese and their eyes yes. glaze over. Um, and just reminding people that like, yes, it's dense, but it's still English. And you can still read through those words and parse it. Um, I find it and, helpful just to, these terms can often be standardized. So if you just like Google the the title of that section of the agreement, you can often find like a two minute video or even a podcast episode that's talking about the nuances, things to consider, and even ways to kind of push back where it's still kind of, you know, uh, in the spirit of the original request, but, but is more advantageous, like more win-win for both sides. Uh, I think that's uh, fairly, maybe more accessible, should be more accessible, I think. And I think our, one of our goals with the Code of Fair Practice is to give both independent professionals and editors some tools they can lean on. Because then you get into a situation where the independent producer is saying to the editor, I can't sign this. And the editor is like, I don't, I'm not the legal team. I don't have to have this argument. And so giving, you know, giving the, the putting the code of fair practice out there and saying, look, air says, right, here it is. It's in writing. And, and it's not just, it doesn't just say this isn't okay. It's, it explains why. Mm-hmm. It explains why it's not reasonable. Um, and it gives everybody something they can lean on. So it's not, this isn't an argument we're having kind of for the first time every time we have it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an argument that other people have had before. And we've established that this isn't a reasonable thing to ask a freelance audio producer, engineer, editor to do. Yeah. I'm grateful for that. And I'm curious, like, 
to go from there, I mean, I, I've noticed a momentum towards unionization within this this field. And wherever, you know, setting aside your personal views about uh, unions or whatever, I mean, I mean this to the audience, not you, Amanda. But, uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't but, set mine aside. <laughs> I know. Same here, same here. But um, it is happening. So w- what uh, what have you seen amongst the membership uh, around conversations with, uh, with the people who are in uh, more full-time roles, like um, employee status? Like, how, how's the conversation been evolving around unionization? I've seen a lot of print magazines come out with some really interesting collaborations with, for instance, the National Writers Union Freelance Solidarity Project. They've worked with a handful of print magazines to come out with a kind of unilateral statement on the part of the magazine saying, this is our commitment to how we're going to treat freelancers. And that's been a collaboration between the Freelance Solidarity Project the staff union and the publication to say, one, as a staff, we care about how freelancers are treated because we care about the larger community of people who make this magazine, even if they're not eligible to be part of the rank and file of the union. But also to recognize that if you've got, if you're using some freelance editors from time to time and staff editors other times, it matters. It matters to the staff. It matters to everybody's bottom line um, mm-hmm. what the policies that that freelancers deal with are. A lot of magazines have like a handful of staff writers, and then most of the pieces are coming from freelancers because they're getting specialty reporting in different, or it's not always reporting. You know, some specialty storytelling in other cases, but right. but they're either commissioning pieces or licensing work from from established reporters that that are bringing them pitches. It matters how it matters to the staff union how those independent producers are treated. We haven't historically had much of a relationship with staff unions. Um, it's one of the things that I'm like. One of my goals this year is to really change that and to to build some of those bridges bridges to staff unions because especially at the public radio side, but also also at your sort of storefies and, and gimlets, it matters. It also matters, I think, to staff to be part of work that they're proud of, right? And that's not just what someone hears when they put their headphones on and like open their podcatcher. It's how the how those producers are being treated. It's how folks who are bringing an independent story to your employer are being treated because that reflects on you. You know, I don't Absolutely. I don't want to be part of producing a story where or, or producing a series where I know that the the really smart creative independent who brought this story to my company is getting a totally raw deal and just yeah sidelined yeah yeah and so and so I think that's a really important it's a really important connection and and just building some of those bridges is really important and there are a handful of I know that the Writers Guild has an audio audio writers alliance which is forming and they're sort of trying to figure out what their options are and how nice. they can push for more I would say more better standards, but how they, how they can push for improvements in how fiction and fiction writers and scripted podcast writers are are treated in the industry, especially as you have the kind of, you know, Disney's and Foxes getting into this space. I mean, you have some really, really big players entering the space and there's a really unequal relationship there. You've got, even for an experienced producer who's been doing really high quality scripted fiction, you know, radio drama production for a decade, two decades, they're still 
working at a major information imbalance to somebody like a Disney that has just a huge amount more information about what they've been able to pay other people, what other people are willing to work for and what other people have fought for. Um, yeah. And you so can be at a real disadvantage there. And I mean, even yeah. navigating the, the rest of the organization for support resources, like mm-hmm. that's something that, that I've experienced in, in freelance work that I've done is, is th- there's a number of kind of uh, disadvantages that aren't obvious uh, kind of on day one or day 10, you know, but, but as you kind of uh, sit in that role a little bit longer, it, it becomes clear that somebody else who may have you know, be doing essentially the same work as you has much more resources because of the, the, the employment status that comes with that and being able to navigate the organization is a, is a benefit there. One of the things that we see, especially around the NPR rate guide and the history of that rate guide was that you had these really big media companies coming into the space and looking at the NPR rate guide and saying, okay, well, that seems like a reasonable ballpark. And it's like, wait, 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 hold up. And they're saying, the no, this is the baseline. The financial model is totally different when you're working for a commercial entertainment company. And yes. they're making vastly more money off of the work that you're producing. And the folks who are making the work need to, the, their compensation needs to reflect that. Amen. And so really making sure that that we're figuring out how to ensure that independent producers get access to that information too and have that clarity. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear the, the great work that, that AIR is doing, going uh, already doing, but then your plans going forward. I'm sure there is more. So maybe There's this so is... Uh, We've got awesome, awesome things happening. Maybe this is an ongoing conversation. I, I would really, I would love, really to, love that. I would that. love to come back. I would love to talk more about the podcast taxonomy project too. That was a... Yeah, I think yeah, totally. There's so many opportunities. Where can our listeners find you and find air and plug into these resources that, you know, if you're thinking about podcasting resources, being a Facebook group that you're a part of, it goes so much deeper than that. And I think air is a, a prime example of ways that you can plug into, you know, a professional existing ecosystem to, to really hone your craft and, and really, uh, really dial in, you know, and maintain your independence. So what's the easiest way to do that? So we are airmedia.org, A-I-R-M-E-D-I-A. And Air Media is our Twitter, Twitter handle. It's our Instagram handle. But you should definitely check us out. And if you join and you don't already have a Squadcast account, you can get a discount on your first Squadcast yeah. account from there. And um, a bunch of other resources I saw. Of, so there's a ton of resources. awesome. And you get access to all of our archived webinars and a lot more resources that we've put together to help people at, at a lot of different stages in just building your career. We have a great talent directory. Highly recommend checking it out. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Amanda. We'll keep the conversation going and uh, we'll let you get out of here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Between Two Mics. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you learned something or we intrigued you a bit, let us know on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for Squadcast FM. And if you want to show the podcast some love, you can leave us a rating or review wherever it is you're listening right now. This show is put together by us, Zach and Rock. It's mixed and produced by Vince Moreno with help from Ariel Nissenblatt. Our logo is designed by Alex Wedby. Since we're a podcast about podcasts, we want to shout out the brands and products that we trust. We're recording using Squadcast.fm, and here's our current stack. For recording, we're using ATR 2100 mics, Apple AirPods Max headphones, 
and Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 audio interfaces. We edit the show on Adobe Audition, and our hosting site is Simplecast. That's it for us this week. We're back next week with more from Between These Mics.